Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Duke fans, welcome to episode 573 of the DVR podcast at Duke Basketball Roundup. I'm Jason Evans. I'm joined by Donald Wine. Donald and, and everyone, Merry Christmas to you. We're coming at you on the day after uh, Boxing Day. Is that what this is called? Day after Christmas? It's Boxing, boxing day? day in England. It's the start of Kwanzaa here in the United States. Uh, it's the day after Christmas also here in the United States and around the world. But uh, yeah, I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess Duke had a little bit of a Merry Christmas because uh, our football team has done some pretty nice stuff in the days leading up to Christmas. Donald, you were there in Birmingham. Just so everyone knows what we're going to go through on this podcast in this episode, not quite as much basketball focus as you'd usually get. The team is sort of scattered to the wind right now. The players all left Durham. Uh, actually, they, they left from, from New York after the after the game against Baylor. They all went different ways. Donald, you mentioned you saw Caleb Foster just walking around on the street. I don't think <laughs> I don't think that would happen <laughs> ordinarily. But the players, you know, with their families for the most part, left, went and spent Christmas together. They are they will be coming back together this week. I think uh I think today they all arrived back in Durham to prepare for the game against Queens coming up this weekend. But again, to get to what this episode is about, we're going to talk about some football stuff, including a brand new quarterback, a very highly touted quarterback heading to Durham. And then we'll take a quick break. And after the break, we're going to deal with the future of the ACC. Just a little tiny thing there, like small will the, com- <laughs> will the conference still <laughs> exist in six months? We'll be talking about that. But we'll start with the Birmingham Bowl. Donald, you were there. An impressive win by the Blue Devils. I know Troy isn't like a household name, 
they came in this game like 11 and two or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a pretty darn good team and Duke really handled them with ease. And we were kind of playing on the road. I mean, Troy is only yeah, you know exactly. 90 miles from Birmingham. So they had a lot of fans there. Duke brought a lot of people, uh, but we were outnumbered uh, in full force. Maybe I'd say probably five to one by the Troy fans that were there. There was a lot of Troy fans there. So shout out to them for supporting their team and shout out to everybody at Duke who came down. There was a lot of people um, who made the trip, especially during the daytime. And Jason, we had some, you know, DBR folks in the, in the building, uh, 30 beard. I, I, I didn't get to see my man, uh, 30 beard, but he was there. Old five cap came by to see uh, me earlier uh, in the game. Regina Lee, who is a longtime listener, likes to email us uh, from time to time. Yep. He was there and we had a nice conversation with her. So it was very nice to meet Regina. Regina, thank you so much for, for being such a great listener over the years. And then a father son duo whose name escapes me at the moment, but, Jason, they drove over from Atlanta. They listened to the podcast all the time. So if you're listening, I, I apologize for not remembering your name, but it was great to meet you both. They told me I need to give you a scolding for not making the trip over from Atlanta because they were able to make the trip uh, for yeah. Atlanta. I told them it was the holidays that that that, that happens. Not everyone is able to to get out away from uh, family or, or other responsibilities, but um, they still told me to give you a nice little scolding. So I'm just I'm shaking my <laughs> finger at you, Jason. Right. Yes. No, I I deserve it. I I should have tried to make it, but it was like you say, it was a family time, and the notion that I would even even just a couple hours, uh, and then the game, and then a couple hours back, uh, if I tried to sell that to my wife, I would have gotten I would have gotten some stink eye. And this is the not not the time of year to get stink right. Eye you, you'd rather you'd rather accept my scolding than Ms. Evans, like <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, let's get to the game really quickly. Mm-hmm. Because as I said, Duke wins this contest 17 to 10. I, I don't know that it was as close as 17 to 10. I mean, I I know that's the final score, but it sure felt like Duke was in control for, for most of this contest. Grayson Loftus has a good game. The Duke defense, I thought Donald was outstanding. Duke ends the season at eight and five. Um, this was the program's fifth straight bowl win. I guess I sort of knew that in my head, but like, wow, to win five straight bowl games is really, really great stuff. And it is just, I mean, this is all heady territory for a program that went over a half a century without a single bowl win. Mm-hmm. We've now won five in a row. We've not, we've got back-to-back eight and nine win seasons. And I just really wanted to quickly, I'll let you get to some stuff about the game because you were there, but Trooper Taylor, the effort that he put in, the enthusiasm that he has for the team. Um, you know, I know he's going to follow. Unfortunately, he's following Mike Elko to Texas A&M. Trooper Taylor apparently will not be back at Duke. And and I, I'm I'm really bummed about that because I thought that, uh, you know, his post-game news conference, whatever you want to call it, not, I guess his speech, so to speak, to everyone who's there at the Birmingham Bowl, inspiring and positive. It's clear that these guys love playing for him. I just thought it was a it was an outstanding effort by Duke by the coaching staff. And last thing, sorry, I know thank you. I'm probably going to get to you. No, you're I just good, want you're to good. shout out Riley Leonard, Aeneas Peebles, Jordan Waters, and the other guys who have entered the transfer portal, picked destinations. They know for certain they will not be back at Duke, and they still kept working with their teammates. They still came to this game. They still, for the most part, not Riley Leonard because he's hurt, but the other guys played in this game, played really well. I mean, Jordan Waters was outstanding. Aeneas Peebles was putting pressure on him. These are guys who are headed off to Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, NC State, and other schools. 
They're getting nice NIL paydays. That's why they're leaving. But they still love the Duke program. They love their teammates. They love the coaching staff. It it was great to see. You know, obviously, I'm incredibly sad to see these guys leave. And Duke's expectations for next season are completely different without them than they would be with them. But there, you know, there are tons of programs where guys are just taken off, moving on to the next place. The Duke guys have decided to move on, but they stayed for this bowl game, and that really means something. It means a lot. And like you said, a lot of them had some very standout performances. Aeneas Peebles on defense, Jordan Waters on offense. You know, shout out to the 32 seniors who played their final game, including uh, Dwayne Carter. He had a nice uh, photo um, where he kind of had his jersey on the floor and said, this is the last jersey I'll ever take off for for Duke University. Um, I hope you see him on Sundays because that man is a beast. And, and some of these guys we're going to be seeing on Sundays, which is terrific. I want to go back to Trooper Taylor for a second, Jason, because Trooper Taylor was not just inspiring and motivating in that speech. He was doing it all weekend. Uh, I went to the Duke football radio show. Like they did a live show. Uh, David, yeah, Schumann, yeah. Our, our friend there. Um, and Trooper Taylor was the, the guest host of that show and took some questions from the, the audience. I asked him a question about just like the mindset of, what the team was going through over these last couple of weeks. And first off, you know, everyone who asked a question, myself included, thanks Trooper Taylor for his leadership through these, you know, you know, three weeks, because it's not easy to, uh, you know, kind of do a transition. He's had to do it twice now. It's even harder when you're doing it around a bowl game, which he didn't have to do back in 2020. So it, this was the coming together of this team was incredible, but also everyone left that restaurant after the football show saying, man, I just want to run through a brick wall for this guy. Um, and I, I, we can tell just in an hour how the players have been motivated and inspired by his leadership and also the other coaching rest of the coaching staff who stayed during the transition. Not all, all of them are, are sticking around for various reasons, but they're all there. And I think everyone used that as motivation to send out this group with a win in this final one. And you mentioned Grayson Loftus. I thought he re responded very well to adversity. He had that you know early fumble in the game on the first possession. The defense kicked in. They you know made it where uh, Troy missed a field goal. And then it was kind of off and running. He settled down. He got into the flow of the offense, led by Jordan Waters, led by Jacquez Moore. Those guys running the ball down the field, they did great. And I think everyone kind of had each other's backs. There was, you know, a couple of penalties here and there and whatever there was adversity, whether it was an interception or fumble or a sack or anything like that, the offense never wavered. They kind of, you know, got it together. They made the next play. They were great at moving the ball down the field and keeping Troy off the field. And I think on defense, the defense just stepped up and made big plays when they needed it. They had got a couple sacks. You mentioned Denise Peebles. He had a sack. They, they had a couple of tackles for losses or even just, you know, you know, pass defenses on third down to force punts and the field goal battle. I'm sorry, not the field goal, the, the field position battle, I should say. We won that handily. And I think that was the way for us to keep Troy at bay. And, you know, we never gave their fans really much of a chance to fully get into the game. And I think that was the key. Um, at the end of the game, there was a lot of people cheering, but they were all in Duke blue. And that was the great thing. This team was amazing throughout the year at overcoming adversity. This bowl game was no exception. So congratulations to the Duke football team. Eight and five to finish the season. I think that's a fantastic season given a lot of the injuries uh, that we had to deal with. Some, you know, shout out to that UNC game and the refs. We, we had to deal with that as well for a second straight year. But these guys were able to overcome that at every turn and turn some of these games into, you know, big wins for this program. 
program set up great moving forward. You know, Donald, I'm, I may be wrong. I think I'm right about the, this, what the stuff I'm going to say next, but it's hard to keep track of who's in the portal and who's not and all that other kind of stuff. But uh, I, I thought a super encouraging thing about this game is that all of Duke's best players in this game are guys who it looks like they are coming back. Jaquez Moore, who entered the portal, but then pulled out of the portal and decided to stay, says he's staying in Durham, mm-hmm. was our leading rusher in this game and looked outstanding at times, ripping off yardage after yardage again and again. Samir Hagens and Jordan Moore um, were our two leading wide receivers in this contest. I, I believe both of them have said that they are definitely coming back. Uh, look, the, the guy who was picked as the MVP of the game, Chandler Rivers, uh, in the was all over the place on defense. He's I mean, a beast. It, it was like, uh, I can't even, every time they're like, oh, that play's blown up by Chandler Rivers. Oh, there's Rivers. I mean, like, you couldn't hear it, but the announcers were just like, Chandler Rivers has played like six positions at once. He's supposed to be back. Grayson Loftus, of course, is supposed to be back. It, it is, there's a lot to replace at Duke next year, uh, especially along the offensive and defensive lines. <laughs> the, and those are those are super important. Those are non-glamorous. Look, I keep on naming wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks and quarterbacks. I get those those guys are the guys who are in the glamour positions and the non-glamour positions are where you win and lose football games. I'm very aware of this, but I really do like the base that Duke has coming back. And I think, again, we're still waiting on all the details about the coaching staff and stuff like that. I think Tyler Santucci is going to be back as defensive coordinator and the, the defense Donald was unquestionably the star of this bowl game. And frankly, the whole season, I mean, Duke had one of the elite defenses in all of college football, and a lot of that falls to Tyler Santucci. I thought, you know, we don't we don't know for sure, but man, if we get him back as defensive coordinator, I really like where Duke would be. Yeah, I you know when it comes to defense, where there's only what two or three games where we gave up more than thirty points. I mean, we had some yeah. games, we had some games where we were holding teams under ten points in that first part of the season, especially we were in the top four or five teams in all of college football when it came to scoring defense. You know, this team was incredible on the defensive end. And like you said, I think the cupboard is not bare, but we are losing a lot of players, like a lot of really good players. Again, as I mentioned, 32 seniors, there's, you know, a few of those guys that are transferring. And I think that when it comes to Manny Diaz and the staff, they've already been working hard at getting some of those guys back in. Of course, we have the recruiting class that, you know, we signed most of those guys. Like, I think we only had one or two that decommitted from that. So yeah. even that was a win. So we have, again, we have guys coming in. We have guys ready to contribute, ready to step up. And in the absence of, you know, I, I want to shout out, you mentioned the, the the thankless jobs, right? The offensive line, I thought, did very well yesterday or on Saturday, given the fact that we were missing Graham Barton. Graham Barton, you know, he was still hurt. I know he's declared for the NFL draft and he should be drafted probably in the first round. This guy is a, is going to be playing uh, for an NFL team and I hope it's my Lions. Um, but I, I think when it comes to that, when we had Graham Barton out of the game this year, our offensive line struggled. They didn't struggle as much on Saturday and it felt like they were ready to go and ready to understand that, hey, we need to take. It's not like a week to week thing where, hey, is he back? Is he not? They knew he was out. So they knew that other guys need to step up and step up. They did. Hey, the last thing about the bowl game before we move on and, and talk about the quarterback who's on his way to Durham. I, I just love the l- look, let's be clear. This meaningless game, you know. The the only w- whether Duke finishes eight and five or seven and six matters to some people, but really in the grand scheme of things, you know, eh, I'm not sure it matters that much. Uh 
I just love the gambler mentality that you saw from, from by the way, from two interim coaches. Both Troy and Duke lost their head coaches. The uh, Duke, uh, Mike Elko, of course, going to Texas A&M. The Troy coach is headed to Tulane. So there were interim coaches who will not be the head coach next year who are coaching this game. Those guys are just like, yeah, I'm going to roll the dice. Yeah, what the? Hey, Duke scores a touchdown. Let's go for two with this crazy formation that had mm-hmm. like three sets of guys in different places and stuff. <laughs> they ended up doing a side hike to the tight end. I don't think I, I haven't seen that in football. That's like something you do with a playground. That was crazy. And then Troy must have had like at least three or four flea flicker, like, you know, crazy. Let's pass it to the quarterback kind of stuff. Just insane plays. It was kind of fun to watch. I can't believe there wasn't an onside kick. Come on, man. No onside kicks in this game. I was surprised. I think we didn't really give them a chance to. Uh, I think they, you know, the fact is it was very late when they tried to yeah, uh, and tried to uh, score and, and come back. And, you know, we had the interception to seal it. So it, it was a wrap from there. But uh, it's funny, Jason, you know, these games are, are fun. I, I want to mention that, like I mentioned, Troy is not far from Birmingham. They're a couple hours away. And they had fireworks before the game, like the little pageantry it was cool. During the game, there was nothing until Troy scored a touchdown. And then all of a sudden, all these fireworks shot off. And so all of us were like, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. You guys didn't shoot, fire those off when we, when we scored uh, back in the first half. Maybe they're just for Troy. After the game, Jason, when the you know they were giving the presentation of the trophy and all that stuff, all of these fireworks popped off. And we were like, ah, yes, they figured Troy was going to score a few more times during this right, game. Right, they'd saved them. It saved them for Troy scored some more times, and they didn't, so they had to fire him off at some point. So we got a nice little fireworks show. It was nice. All right, let's look ahead a little, little bit to next season, because in just the past couple of days, Duke picked up one of the top quarterbacks in the transfer portal. Uh, this is Malik Murphy. He had been the backup quarterback at Texas. It is worth noting that he was in a battle with uh, Arch Manning, the the famous Arch Manning of the Manning clan. He and uh, Malik Murphy were battling to see who the backup quarterback would be at Texas. And that was a battle that was won by Malik Murphy. I think to the surprise of some folks, Um, he, there there was a point this year where the regular Texas quarterback got injured and Malik Murphy had to come in and and lead the team. Uh, He led them to victories over Kansas state and BYU. This is a guy who was looking at schools in the sec and elsewhere when, when he entered the portal, this is a guy who all the Power Five, all the big-time schools in the country recruited out of high school. He's just a redshirt freshman. He'll be a redshirt sophomore next year at Duke. He is widely considered to be the top quarterback recruit in terms of reputation, ranking, all that other kind of stuff, who has ever stepped foot on Duke's campus. That's not to say he's going to be the best quarterback. It's not to say he's going to be better than Daniel Jones and Ben Bennett. And we could go on and on. I mean, Anthony Dillwig, Duke has had some very, very good quarterbacks over the years. But Malik Murphy has a better reputation, uh, at least among, you know, the recruiting gurus and the such, than any of them. And he picked the Blue Devils. He is a big guy. He has a super strong arm. He's going to be a pocket passer. This is not someone... He's going to get out and run. Like Duke is used to having these quarterbacks that are like dual threats. Malik Murphy will not be a dual threat. I looked. He basically did not, you know, he played two games for Texas, basically did not rush the ball a single time. And I, I, I'm really interested. Duke hasn't, Duke has not promised him the starting job. I mean, Grayson Loftus, I'm sure, will will try and, you know, put up a fight there. But the expectation is that Malik Murphy is likely to win the starting job. Donald, what are your thoughts on this? Because 
one of the interesting aspects of this is that you know no one's talking figures or anything but the rep the, the, the story is that duke probably paid you know half a million maybe a little more than that to get malik murphy in nil because that's what you got to pay for a top flight quarterback out of the portal and you know i'm I'm glad to see duke spending their resources on that because because i think this guy is a it's gonna be a really special one look I was super, super ecstatic when this news came in. In fact, I was out, you know, doing some, you know, some of the bowl festivities on Friday night and my best friend just texted me LFG. That's all he texted me. And all of you out there probably know what LFG means. And at that moment, I knew exactly what he was talking about because I I was just, I had just left the Duke football function. He said LFG and I go, Malik Murphy's coming to Duke. And this is exciting. This is very exciting news for Duke. Like you mentioned, he has an elite arm. Uh, That's the biggest thing about him. Also, he has a crisp delivery. Like, he's not a guy that's going to, like, he has to uh, avoid, you know, improve his pocket awareness a little bit. And that's probably what he's going to work on in the offseason. But the way he gets the ball out, it goes out so quick. And it gets the ball downfield. He's able to throw the ball accurate, deep downfield. That's what's going to be most exciting about this. You know, the one thing, Jason, you mentioned his size. He's 6'5", 235. Do you know who else is that size, Jason? Josh Allen. If he could develop to be there a Josh go. Allen type of quarterback, I'm not saying to, to be that elite, but if he can be that simple type of guy, yeah, he's not going to run the ball. But there's going to be times where that 6'5", 235 frame and, you know, fourth and one, fourth and you know third and short conversions, goal line, you know, jumbo packages – he should be able to reach out there and push his way into the end zone. That's something that they're going to develop as well here at Duke. You mentioned he's rolling in January. He's going to compete for the starting job. And I, I think it has been talked about is the fact that he talked a lot with the incoming offensive coordinator, who was Jonathan Brewer. He was the former SMU quarterbacks coach. And Rhett Lashley was the offensive coordinator at Miami in 2020 and 2021 under Manny Diaz. So, they're, they're very understanding of what the offense is going to be, and I'm sure they sold him on what that offense was going to look like with him at under center. So I, I'm really excited about this. I'm excited about the competition. We've talked about how Grayson Loftus has improved throughout the season. You know, when he was stepped in, he kind of kept, threw it under duress um, as a true freshman and performed, you know, very, very well under the circumstances. He is going to improve this in the offseason, and I'm looking forward to that quarterback competition. And Jason, the last time we had a quarterback's competition, we got an elite wide receiver out of it, too. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm hoping <laughs> something happens out of there. But uh, yeah, I think the both of them. And also, let's not forget Henry Beeland started a game for us as well this year. We have a lot of guys with quarterback experience in that in that room, and I think that's going to make for a better unit next year. But I'm so excited about Malik Murphy coming in, and hopefully he does well for us. Hey, I'm glad you talked about um, SMU offensive coordinator Jonathan Brewer coming over to Duke to be the new offensive coordinator at Duke because I think it. I think one of the things that attracted Malik Murphy was playing with Brewer, who really designed an elite offense, especially an elite passing offense at SMU this past year. They averaged better than 40 points per game, better, uh, like almost 300 yards passing per game, almost three touchdowns per game passing. So I think that Malik Murphy saw some of what, you know, Manny Diaz's crew had put together elsewhere, and he wanted to be a part of that. And I, you know, that's something to definitely be excited about, a, a elite passing attack. And, and, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, Samira Higgins, Jordan Moore, both expected to be back next year. 
two top flight wide receivers. We will, we will be missing Jalen Calhoun, no question about it, but, but Malik Murphy's going to have targets. Jason, you're not the only one that's excited about the potential for 40 points a game. I'm excited about that too. I know you're excited about that. Everyone should be excited if we're talking about airing the ball out and, and getting downfield quickly in a hurry and scoring a lot of points. Last thing I want to mention really quickly about all this is that, um, yeah, it is great that, that Duke apparently found donors, you know, whatever it may be, however they found the the NIL dollars to entice Malik Murphy to come to Durham. It is worth noting that, you know, I mentioned Aeneas Peebles and Jordan Waters, uh, who both are leaving Duke uh, to go to Virginia Tech and NC State because both those schools have more robust NIL programs for those guys than we do at Duke. It's it's unfortunate. I mean, Duke sort of has to allocate our resources in, you know, in in ways that don't allow everybody to to get maybe what they what they can elsewhere, and and that's that's a real pity. But but it is a very good sign that we were able to allocate our resources in such a way to bring in a guy like Malik Murphy. Um, this is a sign uh, of of Duke being able to compete with the big boys. Um, you know, we. We got Malik Murphy. South Carolina really wanted this guy. There are plenty of programs. Oregon that State have a lot of res- have a lot of resources and programs where football is king, where they wanted this guy. And the fact that Duke got him is is really good. Even though I'm I'm sad that we don't have the NIL resources to maybe keep all our guys. Yeah, and you know when it comes to some of these guys like Jordan Waters, for example, I believe was honored at Senior Day. He's taking his COVID year at yeah, NC State. So exactly. I, I like I'm not necessarily. Uh, super concerned about those guys and not to say that I didn't want to lose them, but some of those guys had made it in their, in their minds that, Hey, I'm graduating and I want to have a fresh start for my last year. And and that's understandable. The the fact that we were able to keep so many guys in Duke blue, right? Like, you know, there's a bunch of guys, we had, you know, 32 seniors and we had a bunch of guys who were considering entering the portal. We only lost a couple. Uh, and, or, and I think that's, that's commendable because when you look at NC state, NC state lost, I want to say like 17 guys uh, off yeah. of their roster, UNC lost about 15 guys. Like it's, so the fact that we were only able to, I think we only lost like six or seven in total um, that could have stayed, but chose to go elsewhere. Hey, that you're, you're taking those wins, but at the same time, yeah, that, that also, this win, this recruiting win, will maybe help encourage more people to say, hey, look, we want to get more of these wins. We want to feel good about our recruiting situation, both in high school and also in the transfer portal when we need it. And to have those you know, funds discre- you know, at, at their discretion to use is a big deal. So the fact that we were able to land them, I'm really excited about it. All right, with that, we're going to take a quick, quick break. On the other side, it's not technically about football, but it's Kind of about football. Florida State is trying to get out of the ACC. What does this mean for the future of Duke in all sports? Back in a moment. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many... Leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist 
can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. The ACC was given a Christmas gift this week as Florida State announced that they want to get out of the conference. That's they Cole. Are, That's look- Cole, Jason. We, we don't like Cole. <laughs> exactly. It was a lump of coal. Uh, actually, I guess technically the ACC sued Florida State before Florida State sued the ACC. They did. It was all a matter of timing. I think that, that was be- uh, not I think I know for certain that's because Florida State had had already told the ACC, hey, this lawsuit is coming. Donald, you're a lawyer. Tell me a little bit. You've, you've read the complaints. Tell me what Florida State and the ACC are saying about each other at this moment of uh, uh, there's no other way to say it. An existential crisis for the conference. Yeah, so uh, there's going to be some legalese talk, so bear with me uh, for just a minute. But just keep in mind. Wait, are we? I just want to be clear. What what, what rate are we billing at for this? Oh, it's uh, dbrpodcast at gmail.com, or you could go to homefield.com, spend some money on some homefield stuff. That'll be a nice little retainer for you, for <laughs> at least for now, uh, there we for, go. for this episode. Uh, but here's the deal. There's two, as you mentioned, Jason, there's two lawsuits that are being filed. The first one actually was filed on Thursday. And as you mentioned, that was the ACC kind of preempting what they knew was coming, the FSU complaint that came down on Friday. Now, I'm going to focus first on the FSU complaint, which was filed in Leon County, Florida. That's where Tallahassee is located. 
the reason why they did that, obviously, is called is something we call venue venue selection, venue shopping. You want to go to the court that you think is going to be the most favorable towards your lawsuit. And of course, Florida State saying, hey, look, we're in Florida. We're a Florida entity. We're a Florida university. We want to do this in Florida because we feel that we're going to get a much better ruling if we go to our home court here in Tallahassee. So at the same time, the ACC located in Charlotte. So they filed in Charlotte, in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, because they said, hey, this is the ACC. We're located here. Everybody has jurisdiction here because the conference is located here. So those are the two various lawsuits that we have. Let's focus hey, first. Don't, don't, yeah. Answer a question for me really quick. Seeing as this contract involves parties in multiple states, mm-hmm. how, how is this? shouldn't this be in federal court? So that's a great question. I think it can be in federal court, but at the same time, since this document, I'll get to that in the ACC part, since this document was signed in North Carolina, they're saying that North Carolina law is holding in that particular contract. Whereas Florida gotcha. State is saying, hey, we are a resident of Florida and the ACC by being our conference is also a member of Florida. And so Florida law is holding. So they're basically claiming two different laws are holding in the situation and it's up to the courts to kind of figure it out. But Jason, what this does set up for is if there are two separate rulings, right? If, if, you know, FSU gets a ruling one way, ACC gets one in the other, then this will tie up into federal court because then there's going to be a, you know, what we call cross jurisdiction across between, between state lines, we're going to have a federal case out of it that where this probably is joined, but that's a little bit further down the road. Let's focus first on the FSU lawsuit. They are targeting both the grant of rights contract and what they call a prohibitive exit fee. They're saying also that by bringing in Stanford, Cal, and SMU, they're saying that hurt the conference and FSU financially. So they're also claiming financial mismanagement because they are not considered, quote, tier one football programs from a media perspective. They compared them to that of Oregon State, who FSU believes is a tier one media program. And they said, hey, if we had gotten Oregon State, we would have been in a better financial position and brought more money into the conference and thus to Florida State. So they're claiming that the grant of rights deal that the ACC put together, first of all, is a contract made in bad faith and that the conference performed this fiduciary mismanagement by locking them into the deal through 2036. They claim that they the ACC duped its members into extending through 2036 on the grounds that it was a precondition for that big ESPN contract that we got back in 2016 that's been extended, you know, a couple of times as we've added some members. And they're saying that should have been should not have been the case and that the grant of rights deal was kind of made to kind of say, oh no, we have to do this when in actuality they didn't. Jason, I know you've mentioned this on the DBR forums, but I'll mention it here. FSU has estimated that the current cost to withdraw from the conference would total $572 million. That is the exit fee plus all the grant of rights that they would have to forego through 2036. Now, by, when, by the way, by the mm-hmm. way, I, I calculated this. <laughs> yeah, it's, I it's, want credit, man. I had said it was more than $500 million like three or four months ago when people first started talking about this. And people were like, really, really? And I was like, I think I'm just looking at the numbers and stuff. Looks to me like it's like five. Half a billion dollars. Yeah. And, I, and I do want to point out, though, that as outrageous as that may sound, we're talking about a, a decade plus of media rights. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about it over the course of the entire term of it, it's not that crazy a number. Right. It, it, especially considering that, you know, the, the I think the SEC is getting a billion dollars a year uh, from, exactly. from their TV yeah. deals. So it, it's not... It, 
this this is quote peanuts and that's kind of what florida state is alleging that this is quote peanuts when you know to you and i 572 million dollars i'll take that and i'll take that in a, in a second now when maryland withdrew from the conference in 2014 to move to the big 10 that penalty was 52.3 million dollars so fsu is kind of saying like hey this is cost prohibitive and it's punitive it's not to com- you know compensate other people the, for the fact of losing us it's the it's to punish us for leaving so that is the main gist of the FSU complaint. Also, Jason, if they get their complaint, they are actually alleging that they are allowed to leave the conference effective August 14th of this year without paying anything. So this is something where they're not saying, hey, we want to pay a small little fee. They're saying we want to pay $0 and that the money that they have cost us is enough for us to leave the conference. Now, let's shift first, uh, secondly to the ACC uh, complaint. The ACC's main argument is, hey, FSU signed the contract. They can't get out of the contract they signed just because they think it's a bad deal now, especially since the ACC claims that the school has received hundreds of millions of dollars in the decades since the contract was first signed. So it can't be a bad deal now just because they did make the college football playoff and after it's proven to be lucrative to them. They've already gotten you know a couple hundred million dollars out of this deal. Now, they're saying, and, and Jason a lot of people out there have not seen the granite rights deal because it was on lockdown at the ACC conference office. And the only way that apparently the only way that, that people had to see this was to go to the office. They couldn't copy it. They couldn't remove it. They could just look at it. So a lot this, of lawyers this totally cracks me up. The fact that this thing is held under lock and key, like I, 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 this is like something out of a, of a movie or something like that. Like I have to steal it or something. Not anymore. It ain't no National Treasure uh, movie that you can cancel that movie script that you were writing because it is in the contract. It is in the complaint here because they have to, you know, present it as evidence of, hey, this is something that they signed. And, and ladies and gentlemen, Florida State signed it. Florida State signed the 2013 deal, the original Grand Rights deal. They signed a 2016 extension. Both were signed by the current presidents of the university at that time. And the ACC is also saying that because the contracts were signed in North Carolina, and that Florida State signed before the ACC commissioner did in the state of North Carolina. Again, they had to travel to Charlotte or to Greensboro at the time to make this happen. Then North Carolina would hold uh, North Carolina law would hold here. And so they're basically saying that FSU didn't have a problem with the deals when they were signed. They didn't bring up any concerns back then. They haven't brought up any concerns until now. And it, 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 I say now, but really over the last year. So they can't get out of the deal just because they simply feel like they're not getting more money out of it now. This the one thing, Jason, that this case is going to maybe draw from is the Pac-12. I mean, if you look at the Pac-12, as as we've talked about, the Pac-12 is going from 12 to two. And the exiting members of the Pac-12 have sued multiple times to get out of those exit fees that they are owed to the remaining two schools, Oregon State and Washington State. They have lost every single lawsuit. So the ACC is definitely going to be looking at that and hoping to link those court opinions to this case because they're going to say, hey, look, that that conference is dissolving and they're still having to pay exit rights, uh, exit fees to the two remaining member institutions. We're just losing one team. And this team is really the domino that is holding up all of these, all of the entire conference. This is a much bigger deal than that. And they are still having to pay their exit fees. Why can't Florida State do the same, especially since they have signed not one, but two contracts? But Jason, just to just to finish this out, this is how you go, go on. You go. This is you how going, man. 
This is how petty <laughs> this has become, right? And think about this from, from a perspective of the college football playoff. All of this started because Florida State didn't make the playoff, which caused the SEC to get a fourth team into the New Year's Six Bowls, which caused the Big Ten to take the ACC spot in the ReliQuest Bowl, which knocked every team down one to two bowl spaces, why we ended up in the Birmingham Bowl. And it meant the ACC had fewer uh, one fewer tie-in for its 11 eligible teams in Notre Dame. It cost the U, it cost the ACC money. And the biggest part of it is that the college football playoff committee this year was led by Boo Corrigan, the NC State athletic director, whose team yep. conveniently was guaranteed one of the top bowl tie-ins because of this, and whose team could potentially leave if Florida State does, which also benefits them financially. So this is a whole convoluted situation here where Florida State is feeling petty. Florida State has obviously wanted to leave for quite a while. This is not the first time we've heard of people trying to get out of the Grand Rights deal, but this is the first time that we've really seen someone put teeth to that in the form of a lawsuit. It's going to be interesting to see how this works out because this decision could literally kill the conference. And it, it oh, because yeah. if, if Florida State leaves, and as we've talked about, Clemson will probably leave, UNC and NC State are probably right behind them, and then everyone starts scrambling. And and this is where a lot of people hope that Duke is not the one left holding the bill um, a- after dinner. So I, I think at the end of the day, people need to pay attention to both of these lawsuits, not just the one that Florida State filed, but the one that the ACC filed, because if those come out in different directions, then we're going to see an extension of this. If they come out one way or the other, then, hey, <laughs> this conference could change in a very big way very, very quickly. So I've got a couple of quick comments on all this stuff because uh, you covered it very completely. The first one is uh, you said Florida State wants to leave and has wanted to leave the ACC for a while. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I think what Florida State wants is to be in a situation where they have the money to compete for the national title and they feel like they are falling so far behind the Big Ten and the SEC schools that they are not going to have that kind of money if they are, remain a member of the ACC. And, you know, they've been agitating for the ACC to go to a different kind of metric for how it gives out its dollars. Um, and the ACC has has certainly talked about and is, and is moving in that direction. Although I don't know that, you know, what what they're doing is going to help Florida State as much as Florida State feels like, you know, it deserves to be helped. Jason, real quick, it's funny you mentioned that because in in this lawsuit of Florida State, they allege, you know, the fact that we're getting Stanford, Cal, and SMU, and that SMU is foregoing its full conference money share, yeah. and that the others are taking, I think it's a two-thirds uh, share for the first seven years or so. Right, they're actually right. using that as a detriment. They're saying, hey, they already knew that they weren't tier one programs, and because of that, they're taking less money to kind of try and say that this is something that will help us, but in fact, it's still hurting us because these teams are not bringing in the dollars that an Oregon State would or some other program that they feel is tier one. Yes. And and look, it's hard. No offense to those programs that are joining the ACC, and I hope they do really well, and I hope that they become attractive. But at the moment, Florida State's argument is not an invalid one. <laughs> that those programs, there's as you say, there's a reason they are taking significantly less. Although I would point out, a lot of the funds that they are not going to take are going to be funneled in various ways to Florida State and other teams in the conference that are sort of agitating for extra money. But I I, I did want to start by saying. It's not that Florida State hates the ACC or desperately wants to be out of the ACC. It's that they want to be someplace where they can compete on a level playing field for the national title. Because especially after this season, when they went undefeated and did not get a 
bid to the playoff. They are really, really pissed about that. But I want to point out something that's stupid about Florida State, which is that this lawsuit can be a complete success for them and they still wouldn't make the playoff. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it's too late to fix that wrong. And I'm with them 100% that they were wronged and they deserve to go. The absurdity of saying that, oh, because they lost their quarterback, they're suddenly not good enough. And, you know, oh, we used the eye test. They didn't look as good without their quarterback. And so we're not going to put them in. I mean, it makes no sense at all, as as has been stated by many people on many times. If you're going to use that test, if you're going to say, oh, who are the best teams, not the best records, but the best teams, then why is Georgia's, you know, Georgia should be in the playoff. There's, there's no one out there who exactly. thinks that Washington is better than Georgia. There just isn't. So what, you know, what the heck is Georgia doing not in the playoff then? It doesn't make any sense. But the last thing I want to point out about all this, I think a lot of what you're seeing here, a lot of what's going on is Florida State hoping and praying and posturing and not really thinking that they have a good lawsuit. Donald, you're you're the legal expert. There are things that you pointed out that are problems in Florida State's arguments. I have read a number of analyses of this stuff that says, yeah, Florida State can try, but they are a decided underdog to win this lawsuit that they've filed and, and to, to win against the lawsuit that the ACC has filed. There's a reason that no school has ever successfully challenged a grant of rights deal in court. It's because these grant of rights deals are written in very ironclad kind of language. They got good lawyers to draft those contracts. And there are just not a lot of ways that Florida state can argue that they should get out of it. And if they don't get out of it, Florida state's going nowhere. Like Florida state could get that penalty fee for leaving the conference cut. But as long as that grant of rights stays in place, they are going nowhere. And that's why they're arguing that these contracts are unenforceable in Florida. They're not saying anything about North Carolina because they can't, they don't want to go to North Carolina and argue this case. Whereas the ACC is saying, Hey, you, you guys, you guys are the ones that flew all the way up here to sign this contract. We didn't fly nowhere. We just went downstairs into the office. You guys flew all the way from Tallahassee to Charlotte or to Greensboro at the time, uh, North Carolina, which ain't a direct flight. You guys flew up here just to sign this deal. And you signed it before we did. So I, I don't know what's changed in the last decade other than you want more money, but that's not a good reason to get out of a contract. That is going to be the biggest thing. And, and I think that's why they're arguing, you know, fiduciary mismanagement, like, you know, business mismanagement. They're arguing a lot of different things other than the fact that, hey, other than, hey, I signed this contract, but it's actually a bad deal uh, for us. So that's kind of where the, the crux of their argument is. And yeah, Jason, that should fail, but... That's why that's why there's court like they have to argue yeah, this. Yeah. And if you don't argue it right, then they, then this could be. So I wouldn't say that. Yeah, they may be the underdogs to to, you know, get through on this. But that does not to say that they can't win this lawsuit. And that's the scary thing is we have to hold our breath to see what arguments are going to be made in court to to understand where this is going to lie. Because if it goes if one if one aspect that this goes in the area of Florida State, it opens up a world of of concern for the rest of the conference because the rest of the conference say, hey, if there's even a small smidgen of an out here, then it's not just Florida State we have to worry about at this point. It's all these other schools who have been considering taking that leap to go somewhere else over the last year and a half as this realignment occurs. That's what's the most concern is we have to we have to worry about all that. So, you know, this is going to be one to watch for for everyone who's associated with the ACC. Yeah, I I I think Florida State's going to fail, but you're right. There's a there's a chance. 
you never know what a court is going to go, go ahead and say. And uh, yeah. All right. With that, we're going to wrap it up here on the latest episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I like that I use the word basketball there in describing the name of the podcast because I don't think we mentioned basketball a single time. We don't did work, at the beginning. We, we said we, we said we weren't going to talk basketball. So <laughs> that's right. That's we right. just mentioned yes. it now. So we're good. There we go. Uh, don't worry, folks. We'll be back at you with some basketball content coming up in just a couple days. We're going to have a preview of the game that Duke has this weekend against Queens, a game that should feature the return of Tyrese Proctor to the Duke lineup. I am dying to see how the uh, lineups, the rotations, and things like that shift when we get Mr. Proctor back in uniform. I'm dying to see hit the way he integrates into the uh, into what has been a, a, a different Blue Devil team over the past few weeks. But we'll get to that coming up. Until then, he's Donald. I'm Jason. And listen now. You can hear him. It's the Duke Band. They're playing us out and taking us home.